<clears throat> Evening, everybody. Glad to see y'all. That's a Christmas song we just sang, but I'm glad we sang it. Amen. It's Advent, but Advent is that time where you sit in the middle. You sit in between. We talked about this last week. You stand in between waiting to celebrate, to look at the first time Jesus comes, his first Advent, right? So what we do for four weeks before Christmas, as we look back, we look back and sing away in a manger, in oh holy night, and we look back and we say, oh, remember the first time he came, right? But then we stand in between, and we also look ahead to the second time he comes, which will be vastly, fundamentally different than the first time he came. The second time he comes, he will come as the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. But tonight we wait. Tonight we wait. But tonight we lit the joy candle or lighted the joy candle. I don't know which is it. Lit, says the country boy. Tonight we lit the joy candle. And each week I've gotten up here in the last three and I've told you that how can we get here and talk about joy? Like we'll talk about tonight when we watch the news. We don't even have to watch the news and see riots and protests and racism and injustice. How can we talk about joy Regardless of the news, because so many relationships in my family are broken. How can I talk about joy when this season, the rates of depression, sadness, suicide escalate tremendously? Because people in our webs of relationships and even our very selves, we feel isolated, we feel hopeless. So how do we get the first week and talk about hope? We talked about hope being a light in the darkness. We talked about last week, peace. How do we talk about peace in a world of chaos and violence? We talked about peace as restoring balance, God's shalom, setting things right the way it ought to be. Well, how do we talk about peace when so much of the world is not how it ought to be? And each week, I hope you've heard that when we talk about hope and peace and joy and we light these candles, we light these candles without ever discounting the darkness. We light these candles without ever saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Then we would be lying to ourselves and we'd be lying to this world and we would be not able, unable to look Jesus in the face and say, it doesn't really matter because Jesus said it does matter and he gave all of himself on the cross to make it right. Jesus did not discount the darkness. Jesus came in in humility and poverty and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the slums, into a world of chaos and violence. And so we can, in Advent, stand in this place of looking back to the baby in the manger and looking ahead to the reigning Lord returning to consummate the kingdom that he inaugurated the first time. And we can do so not because we're Christians and we are happy clappy and we sing joy to the world and everything is great. We can do that because the object of our hope is a person. The object of our peace is the Prince of Peace. And the object tonight of our joy is that same person, Jesus. So we're not coming in here to escape the world. We're coming in here to find the Savior of the world and see how we might, through His power, go and be agents announcing that this does not have to be the way it has to be. And we pray and we expect this world to be the way it ought to be 
when Jesus comes the second time. That's what Advent's about. That's why I love Advent. And so I want to talk about joy tonight, and I was thinking about joy, and I was thinking about, we've been talking about John the Baptist. We've been looking the last two weeks and scenes in the life of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist's whole ministry was out preparing for the first advent of Christ. So we looked at a prophecy of his birth, and last week we looked at his message, and tonight we're going to cheat a little bit. We're going to cheat a little bit, because John wasn't joyful in the way that you might typically think joy but we've got to give John credit because one of the first things this dude did in his mama's womb was a jump for joy. And so we're going to look at that scene tonight. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a two songs. And I've titled this message, Songs of Kingdom Come. And when I think about joy and I think about the way that John the Baptist reacts... I also, tonight we're going to look at a song that his mom sings and how she reacts to this coming kingdom that we're talking about in Advent. Then we're going to see how Jesus' mother, Mary, how she sings and how she responds, and it is a way of joy. So I've been thinking about these responses. I've been looking at this text. I've been thinking about joy in, in uh, a season and a place that can be so sorrowful and so difficult for these people. And I say, well, how can we talk about joy? And I thought of this. Here's what I thought about. You're not going to like this and I'm about to lose half of you. But when I think of joy, I think of tears of joy. And I need to tell you that I'm not really a crier. I don't cry just a whole, whole lot, okay? I have nothing against crying. I think that crying is good. And I will tell you there is video evidence that I boohooed and cried like a baby on my wedding day the entire service. And Amy did too, but she was smiling, so I know it wasn't because her whole life is over. It's on video and we boohooed like babies because we were joyful. I am not ashamed to say that I cried at the birth of both of my daughters and I wailed and had such crazy shake voice and cry voice and snot coming down. It was, I was overwhelmed. But there is one time I cried that I was ashamed of. It was a while ago and I'll tell you when it was. It was in June 2011 and it was game six of the NBA finals. Here's where I lose half of you. Here's where I lose half of you. Stick with me. Here's, here's where I lose half of you. But I cried, and I cried a manly sports cry, and I could not contain myself. It just welled up and came out of me. And I'm a little bit ashamed of that, because I stood in front of the TV standing up like I had done something. But it just came. And the thing about this is, when we think of joy, when you think about tears of joy, or sports cry for Dirk and all these men, it comes from a place that just happens we react in the moment. It's the same way with anger. A lot of times you're not just the maniacal you know, person sitting in the back like stewing all the time. What happens is immediately when someone, whoa, that was huge, clap. Immediately when someone cuts you off or immediately if somebody like attacks you, a lot of times it, it boils up in the moment. And it's the same with joy. And how we react in the moment is like the tip of the iceberg. It's because there's been something within us, there is something we're feeding. Everything that comes without is almost always, no, it is always, after long periods of things within. That's what Jesus says in the New Testament. You know, the things that come out of us, the things that proceed from us, are a reflection of what we're dwelling on, meditating on. 
And so when I talk about joy and these things welling up, and when we look at these songs which are welling up in joy, in good joy, in good things, they well up and they burst out into song. What I'm not going to tell you tonight is that you need to go around pretending that everything's okay. Put a bumper sticker on it, put a band-aid on it. Whatever problems you have in your life, you just need to don't worry, be happy. What I am telling you this, these things that come out of us, that are within us, these things that well up, whether it's joy or anger or joy or sorrow or hope or despair, these things aren't just isolated. Sometimes it happens when there's a chemical imbalance. There's a brokenness. Sometimes it happens so naturally in this world we're in. And it happens at alarming rates. So it would be so disingenuous and terrible for me to tell you, just be happy. Just suck it up and be happy. I would never tell you that. I would never tell you that. But what I will tell you is that joy, and when we look at these things that are so difficult to come by, especially difficult to come by just on the spur of the moment, welling up. What I will tell you is that joy is evidence that we put ourselves, we discipline ourselves in Advent and in all of our lives to say, even in the despair, even in the darkness, would I shift my focus to the person of Jesus? Would I look beyond myself? Would I look beyond my circumstance and look ahead to Jesus? Because I believe the more we saturate and look to Jesus, when we look to the cross, which is itself a place of darkness and suffering, we're able to see beyond the torture element and we see God's love on full, radical, glorious display poured out for the entire world and for you. Joy causes us, if we meditate, if we focus on Jesus, we see joy welling up even in circumstances that seem bleak and hopeless. That's what the cross is about. That's what the cross tells us. And this is what Advent is about. Never ignoring the darkness, never ignoring that, but we look beyond it to the person of Jesus. Are you with me so far? This is kind of weird. But I'm gonna tell you now and in the middle of our talk and at the end of our talk, Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. We're going to look at two remarkable women who in the face of some weird, bleak circumstances looked to Jesus and what welled up was not despair but joy. And I'm telling you because of Jesus, we can find that place, that moment too to get us through in the darkness. Let's pray and then let's look at Luke chapter 1, okay? Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for inhabiting the praise of your people and even inhabiting our very selves. So we ask in these moments, those places of blockage and resistance in our heads and our hearts, we just pray that we would be open to you. Spirit, come, let your kingdom break into our midst. And may we see in this church love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all of these things that you want to well up within us, even in the face of darkness. Would you use us and would you transform us through Jesus Christ our Lord who is our King and our peace. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1. This is the first song. This is Elizabeth's song of kingdom come. Elizabeth
is John the Baptist's mother. We were introduced to her briefly a few weeks ago. And Mary, who is Jesus' mother, is on her way to meet Elizabeth because they're related. Maybe your Bibles, if you're looking and reading ahead, it says cousin, but they're relatives. And so why Mary's going to visit Elizabeth, before we look at Elizabeth's song, why Mary is going to visit Elizabeth is because of the scene that preceded what we're looking at tonight. And it's famously called the Annunciation. And it's when the same angel that announced John's birth, Gabriel, announces Jesus' birth. And Mary is pumped She's pumped because we say, right if you look in verse 39, which is where we're starting tonight, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea. Mary was just told that she's expecting, and the child that she's expecting is the son of the Most High God. And so she rushes to the hill country, to the country where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived, and she says when she entered their house in Zechariah's home, she greeted Elizabeth. And then in 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby leaped in her womb. So here's what's going on. I just told you that Mary had the famous annunciation. I I told you that also Gabriel announced that Elizabeth would be pregnant. So what we have here is two relatives, two pregnant women coming together, and they're two pregnant women at total ends of the pregnant spectrum. Gabriel said, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. You've been shamed, scorned. You felt like you're not holy woman. You felt the scorn of the culture around you telling you you're not blessed. I'm telling you, you're blessed. And so what happens is she's going to have a baby boy. But she's having the baby boy, in Elizabeth's mind, way too late. And then Mary comes and meets her. And Mary is probably 13, 14 years old. And the culture looks at her. And they scorn people like Elizabeth, who was barren. But they also scorn pregnant, unwed teenagers who are pregnant. So we have Elizabeth on one side that's pregnant way too late, right? And then we have Mary, pregnant way too early, is what the culture would like to say. But... The circumstances for both of them may look touchy because the culture wants to tell them this and this and this, but what God tells them, what God tells them, the tidings that God brings through Gabriel is you are blessed. There's more going on here. To them and the culture, it looks like there's, this is not part of the plan, but these two women get together and they're carrying each of them world-changing baby boys in their womb. One will prepare the way for God's kingdom to come, to restore and ransom a people who have been oppressed. He's going to bring good tidings that your God is coming. He's coming to you. And then, of course, the second baby, the other world-changing baby, is not the one who's just going to announce the kingdom. He's going to bring it in his person. He's going to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. Both of them had two world-changing baby boys. Both of them are all about the kingdom of God. And thirdly, it's all about the Holy Spirit. So these two pregnant ladies get together, and then what happens? John, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, leaps in her womb because he heard the blessed mother's voice, right? Now, pay no attention to the fact that later on in Luke, 
he ain't going to know it's Jesus till he's baptized. Pay no attention later on when he says, are you the one or should I expect another? There's something going on here and there's something because we are told even in the womb, early on in this chapter, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is some breaking in into these circumstances that seem so unlikely, so backward. You've got these pregnancies of two women who, who everybody says had no business being pregnant and God says, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose. And then you see these world-changing babies, these two pregnant ladies reuniting and then all of a sudden in utero, John leaps for joy, but he's not the only one who's joyful and he's not the only one with the Holy Spirit. Keep looking at verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when she is filled with the Holy Spirit? Now in your Bible, I hope, it's not like my Bible, I hope it looks like a psalm. Because this is a song that happens. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's just greeted Mary. And Mary's going to tell her, guess what? I'm pregnant. And Elizabeth says, guess what? I'm pregnant too. And then Mary will say, guess what? My child is the son of the most high God. And Elizabeth says, what? I was told by this angel. She said, I was told by this angel too. What was that angel's name? Gabriel. Dude, my angel was Gabriel. Did he tell you not to be afraid? He told Zechariah not to be afraid. But Zechariah like, like questioned him and he couldn't talk for nine months, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. John leaps for joy. Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit and she busts out in a song. I bust out in sports cries. She goes musical on us. And if it looks like a psalm in your Bible, it's because this is a song of joy. And it's a song of joy because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. What does she say? Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. Let me tell you something. It was about a four-day journey for Mary, and she wasn't showing yet, I bet you. But she will not hear those words from many women that she will come in contact with. And Mary stays fixed on Jesus the child she's carrying. Mary stays fixed, and we have no idea what Mary felt carrying God's child. But that was enough in her circumstance. Elizabeth's affirmation, filled with the Holy Spirit, song, blessed are you, I think is enough to get her through fearing for her life because of the circumstances not being married to Joseph. Mary's an extraordinary woman, but before we get to Mary's song, let's keep looking at Elizabeth. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. We just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We just sang each verse, inviting and saying, God with us, come. Come to your people, Israel. Come to your people, Israel. And then what are the first two words of the refrain in the chorus? We just sang them. I, I still want to hear them. Rejoice, right? Are you there? Rejoice, rejoice. Woo! What's the next words? Rejoice, rejoice. He will come to thee, Emmanuel. The chorus begins, rejoice, rejoice. 
but you're rejoicing not that he's here, but that he's coming. These women, Elizabeth sings, Mary sings because they're focused and they've been waiting. They've been steeped in the story that God's king is coming. They're focused on God's kingdom. And what happens is babies jump in their belly. John does. Elizabeth bursts into song because Mary is blessed because she is the one who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. God's King and Messiah is nothing if not the end result of a promise that God had made that he will not leave his people alone. And he didn't leave Mary alone. And she will respond with joy to him. Let's look at Mary's song. It's funny because before we move on, the Holy Spirit is all over these people. The Holy Spirit I mentioned is with John even in the womb and Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit later on in the next scene and he sings a song, he prophesies a song. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit as she tells Mary how blessed she is. I just want to take a pause. I'm supposed to move on. I don't want to talk forever because we've got places to be and things to do. But here's, I just need to take this pause for a minute. Here's the thing. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about peace. And I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. What would it look like if the Holy Spirit invaded your family the way the Holy Spirit invaded John, Elizabeth, and Zechariah? People who are in need of hope. Religious people, blessed people, righteous people, but people who needed hope. What would it look like if the Holy Spirit invaded your family? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit invaded my family? I'll tell you, I think it would look like what I prayed earlier. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. Do our families need more love and joy and peace and patience? Can I tell you what I do? Because I don't see a lot of love and joy and peace and patience in some of the relationships in which I find myself in. I say, Jesus, I'm going to rejoice though this kingdom has not come in these relationships. But I am going to pray peace. Lord, that they would be open to you and find your peace. I'm going to pray love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to move into work and to untangle these twisted up webs of relationships we find ourselves in, because when the Holy Spirit invades and operates, that's where the kingdom of God is, because when we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit of God, we're opening up to the reign of God, the Holy Spirit's sway and movement in our lives. And in those places where it's not yet, we say, come, come, work, Jesus. And Mary is fixed on the day that Jesus would come. He would come in the most intimate way, birthed through her. And she wells up in a song of joy. And I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk, and then we're going to read it again. I want you to listen to her song. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state 
of His servant. Do you think that God is mindful of you? Do you think that God cares about you? Do you think God cares about the forgotten, starving, innocent ones in our world? God does, and I'm telling you, He does. And I'm telling you this because I think Mary's on to something about the kingdom. And she doesn't care what anyone else will say. She's going to cling to the words of her relative Elizabeth. She's going to cling to the words of God Most High. And she's going to believe that his promise will be fulfilled through her. And that God's kingdom would come in power. This is a song of gospel, of good news. She knows that she is part of God's movement to establish his reign. And she says, look at the verse, end of verse 48. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She starts and says, God, thank you because you've been mindful of me. But she moves on from herself and says, all generations will look back and call me blessed. And she says in verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. God, you have looked on a humble servant of yours. But not only that, she expands and says in verse 50, your mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, what has God done? Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He reverses it and he brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God cares about you. He cares about the forgotten. She says, she sings, verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. What did Elizabeth say before Mary burst out into song? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. What's His promise? He promised way back with Abraham that you will be blessed and I will bless every nation. I will bless every nation through you, through your people. The people that had been oppressed, put upon, enslaved, in chains, in violence, and in indifference. A people who don't have joy, who don't have care, because they've thought, surely God has forgotten us. And Mary says, he hasn't. And I say to you, he hasn't forgotten you. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. This song is called the Magnificat. That's a Latin translation of the first word in this song. And how do you hear her song? I'm wrapping up, okay? How do you hear her song? How do you listen to it? Let me tell you how I heard it, how I listened to it. I heard it as a mother, a young mother who is fixed on Jesus, looking beyond her state into the glorious things that God has planned. And I imagined her singing it, and I would read it, singing, thinking. It was a whisper. But the more I sat with it this week, I'll tell you how I heard it. I heard it as a shout. I heard it as jumping up and down just like John in the belly did. I heard this song 
as a party song. I heard this as one that brings down the house. I see this as good news. This is gospel before gospel. This is a song of triumph because she's been soaked in the promise and story that things don't have to be the way they appear. And I don't have to say that because I'm some person lost and, and insane, just blindly optimistic and saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. No, I can say that because God fulfills promises and God will bring His kingdom and He will deal with our enemies. Every line of this song is saturated and soaked in almost an exact, exact quotation from her Old Testament, her scriptures that she had. Every line of it, she had been steeped within the story that God is mindful that God makes good on his promise. And that is a reason to sing. I hear this song and I hear 20,000 people spontaneously standing up with their arms raised because Vince Carter sunk a three last year and beat the Spurs. I'm back to the Mavericks, forgive me. I see spontaneity jumping for joy because where the Spirit of God is at work and reigning, we find love, we find joy, we find peace, we find all of these Advent things, even in darkness. I hear a party. I see what happens when you win the lottery. I don't even know if you're supposed to play the lottery. We'll talk about that another time. I see good news, and I see a girl who had every reason to focus on the bad news, but she trusts that God is a God who fulfills his promises. He, she knows a God who looks on the humble and knows that we're not forgotten. So may we, like Mary, like Elizabeth, set our hearts beyond our circumstance to the kingdom that is in the relationships that look more like earth than heaven. Would we sing songs of who God is Rehearsing and reminding ourselves that his kingdom is here, but it is also coming. And may we as a church celebrate the reign in our midst, God's reign in our midst, in such a way that produces a joy, regardless of our circumstances. I'm not saying be stupidly happy. I'm saying set your hearts on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, and hear the words when we lit the joy candle tonight. We were told that Jesus is her joy because sadness and depression will end, but Jesus is forever. His love endures forever. His joy endures forever. Depression, sadness, racism, violence will not make it on the other side when his kingdom comes in fullness. And we anticipate that day, we pray for that day, and we join the thousands of people he's been mindful of, singing, worthy is the lamb to receive all glory, honor, and power, because he has not forgotten his promise that all nations will be gathered and singing praise to this child who will be born from this remarkable woman of God. I wanna close with Mary's song from the message. This is not a whisper song to me tonight. This is a song of triumph and shout. We're gonna close with this. 
I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others, His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before Him. He bared His arm and showed His strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses. He pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. God embraced his chosen child Israel. He remembered and he piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised. Beginning with Abraham and right up to now. Amen, Lord. May it be. Let's respond to him tonight in song and with the table, looking to the cross of suffering and seeing God's love poured out.